Welcome to Fishing Forward, a podcast inspired by fishermen for fishermen that focuses on health, safety, and staying shipshape in the commercial fishing industry. Fishing Forward is brought to you by the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety and by the Coastal Roots Radio Team at the University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada. I'm your co-host, Hannah Harrison. And I'm Phil Loring. Today, we're building off the main theme of our first episode, the professional fishing athlete. That is, the idea that commercial fishermen are fishing professionals who use their bodies in their work in ways similar to professional athletes. Last time, we talked to two experts about the many ways that commercial fishing can put stress on fishermen's bodies. This time, we are taking some of those lessons right to the docks. In this episode, we talk with two commercial fishing practitioners to hear how they are doing things differently aboard their own vessels or in their fleets to avoid injury and make their crews and working environments as efficient and safe as possible. My name is Eric Jordan, and I'm a lifelong salmon fisherman. Right now, I run a power troller and a 38-foot fiberglass boat, and we primarily target salmon, a little bit of lingcod. If you're unfamiliar, trolling is not something you do on the internet, but a type of fishing that involves hanging long hooks and lines off of extendable arms that protrude from the side of the boat. The idea is to individually catch the targeted fish and then be able to bring it on board and immediately process it in a way that preserves a high quality product. Eric's boat can bring in between 1,500 and 2,000 individual fish a day, a high volume for a trolling boat when each fish must be carefully handled by a crew member. So it's a much more labor intensive focused fishery than it used to be and so we've had to rebuild our trolling vessels with ergonomics in mind the first thing is i'm 6'3 a really big guy and my wife is 5'4 5'3 5'3 <laughs> my wife is 5'3 she's listening in the background and and she uh, so we're a lot smaller and we're working in the same working station on a troller. You have what's called a cockpit, which is a pit in the stern where you can stand and work your gear over the either the back end of the boat or the, either sides. What we needed to do was make everything, since we were both using both sides, comfortable for a really big guy, myself, and also comfortable for her being 5'3 or 5'4. So that's what started me on the route. Plus then my boys were fishing with me when they were young and my mother. My mother, when she started fishing with me, was about 70 years old. And my boys, starting from the time they were four or five years old, starting to help uh, manage the fish and then running gear as soon as they could. So we had to make things. Initially, it started out to accommodate the different types of crews I had so we could all efficiently, safely work the gear. Now, Eric's boat didn't start out harvesting 2,000 salmon a day. Early in his career, Eric and his crew could only handle a few hundred fish a day. And as they ramped up volume over time, they needed to find new ways to increase efficiency and minimize the number of times each fish needed to be handled. So when we pulled the fish aboard, traditionally you would conk each fish with a gaff hook, put the gaff in, pull it over into the deck, a bleeding bin, and you would handle that fish seven or eight times before it was unloaded. Well, with the high volume fish 
We wanted to pull them in, de-hook them without gaffing them, put the gear down. Instead of setting each gear, each leader individually, over time, we developed gear setters. So all we had to do was uh, set the hook back on the gear setter. And uh, then when we were setting the line out, instead of having to snap it on and throw each hook over individually, we would just snap on and it would go automatically go into the water. So we had to think about all these kind of systems, not just for the ergonomics of the crew, but primarily to increase our production. Now that sounds like a lot of steps to get each fish out of the water. Yes, and that is exactly what Eric is trying to say here. He told me how when his son was little, he had lots of ideas on how to make the boat easier to work on. That led me on the path to listening to all my crew members for their great ideas. Because if you're going to listen to an eight-year-old, then you're sure going to be paying attention to what a a 26-year-old graduate of Oxford's telling me. Um, And so that really led me on the path of innovation toward making my boat way more hospitable to all kinds of crew members. Another issue that Eric has innovated around is that of crew burnout. Then when I started developing a crew apprentice program, because another thing with handling these high volumes of fish, sometimes from the first week in June till the middle of September, is traditionally we'd have one or two crew members throughout the course of the season, is it was burning them out. Just even though they were making good money, I mean, running gear and handling that many fish and unloading almost every day for 60, 80, 100 days in a row was just both mentally and physically exhausted. So about eight years ago, we started a program where we would work crew in. And so they'd, they'd work two weeks or so and then take a break and maybe come back or that's all they'd work is a week or two each summer and we developed a crew apprentice program with the Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association which has a whole program that helped prepares the crew for what to expect what equipment to have and then also I can be the judge of especially after their first experience is who's going to be able to go longer For example, this year I had two long distance runners, a guy and a gal, who it would have been really tough to wear them out. But that's the kind of attitude that goes into making this both simpler and more efficient for production, but also safer and less taxing on your bodies. He mentions here that the Alaska Longline Association puts on an apprenticing program. And if you'd like to learn more about that, you will find a link to their website in the show notes. You know, another thing that really struck me in talking to Eric was how he described the transformation he has seen in his crew and on his boat because of this attention to safety and comfort. We're constantly thinking of ways to make the crew as safe, as productive, and as comfortable as possible. And then when you're doing those things, it's fun. 
I mean, when it's just flowing, you got the music rocking and everything's working well because you've worked so hard on all those details. It makes it not just comfortable and safe, but it makes it joyous. Eric also brought up one more thing that is a bit near and dear to my heart, and that's the way that women work in the commercial fishing industry. Eric is in Alaska, where women make up something around 18% of the commercial fishing workforce. But in other fisheries that I've worked in, women are almost non-existent on fishing boats. And one of the major reasons for that that I often hear is that people are worried that women can't do that work, that it will be too taxing, or that it isn't really set up for their typically smaller bodies. Eric makes a habit of hiring women on his boat, and I think his philosophy about how he chooses crew is super interesting. I'll tell you, I'll put the endurance and the toughness of some of the women that have crewed with me up against well, up against my sons who were champ, who were champion wrestlers. Every person that comes onto my boat is unique. From the smallest woman to the biggest, brawniest guy, they all have individual talents. And my challenge as a skipper is to adapt my program and figure out where they fit best uniquely. And everyone, there's as much difference between some of the women I have on the boat than any woman and any man I have on the boat. And that's part of the fun of training crew is listening and seeing where their gifts are, where their aptitude is, where their passion is. It sounds like Eric is hiring by thinking of each person as a unique entity with something to offer rather than trying to fit different people into a set program on the boat. That's exactly it. And I think that that's a really important way of looking at people who work in commercial fisheries in general. Each person is inherently different, which means that the way that they stay safe and healthy is also going to require different approaches. We heard from Eric about the specific ways he's changing his vessel and fishing operation, but Eric isn't the only fisherman interested in these sorts of innovations. Let's turn now to Monique Coombs with the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. Monique is the director of community programs for the association, and I'll let her describe what that means. So the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association's mission is to restore the fisheries in the Gulf of Maine and sustain Maine's fishing communities for future generations. My position as the director of community programs really focuses on sustaining Maine's uh, fishing communities for future generations. So I get to do a lot of work with fishermen in regards to things that um, might happen more on shore. So things around like seafood and the working waterfront. And then um, most recently and a major priority right now is the fisherman wellness work that we're doing. So advocating for more health and uh, wellness resources for commercial fishermen uh, in Maine, but, you know, New England um, and elsewhere, we're, we're very lucky to work with some great partners to talk about the needs that fishermen have in regards to their health. Monique and the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association actually started thinking about the wellness of fishermen because they were working on the wellness of the industry. That is, issues around working waterfronts and other types of infrastructure. Here's Monique again. A few years ago, I did some work in about 10 coastal communities in Maine to investigate the working waterfront um, and some of the issues that were occurring on the working waterfront in those communities. 
And I was really excited to do the project because, you know, Maine's gorgeous and our coastal communities are gorgeous and hanging out with fishermen on the working waterfront is a lot of fun. And what I was finding is when I was speaking with these fishermen, although the the atmosphere and the landscape was beautiful, there was a lot of um, heavy concern weighing on these fishermen in regards to development in their community, uh, the future of their industry, the health of Gulf of Maine, and they used a lot of words like fatigue, uncertainty, and helplessness. And so when I was getting home at night, I was thinking, you know, geez, I'm actually a little bit sad and, and depressed because of this project. And it really sort of started to drive home the need for, um, you know, just some more attention to be paid to not just um, infrastructure like we usually think about, right, like wharves and bait and ice, but also infrastructure necessary for fishermen to be healthy and well. So, you know, mental health resources, um, access to telehealth um, and these kinds of things. I think the stress of being a commercial fisherman can sometimes slide under the radar in terms of the challenges that we assume face those in the industry. I think you're totally right. Stress, anxiety, and just having the energy to take care of yourself and stay in peak fishing form are all kind of insidious challenges that usually don't get the same attention as big infrastructure problems. Monique's group is trying to bring attention to those challenges through things like this wellness program. You know, we all know wellness and physical activity are, are tied to each other and they're, they're both very important. And one of the things that's an obstacle for fishermen is their jobs are um, incredibly difficult physically and mentally. And when you're drained um, at the end of the day because of your job, sometimes the last thing you want to do is focus on, um, you know, exercise or you know, honestly, even trying to get to a therapy appointment because you want to rest and get back to fishing. But, you know, I think we all intuitively know sort of that the the healthier, you know, we treat our bodies physically, that can um, help our mental health. And when we treat our mental health, that can also support our physical health. So this wellness program kicked off right at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, when Monique and her association received some grant funding. What we did right out of the gate um, because of the pandemic is we were able to access some um, rapid grant funding. And what we did is we put some of the, or actually all of the money from that we got from one of those grants towards paying for counselors for fishermen. One of the, our ideas was just doing everything that we can to break down the barriers to getting fishermen um, the support that they needed. So while doing that, we worked with, um, a couple of partners to uh, reach out to counselors and ask the counselors, hey, you have immediate availability. Can you make appointments within 24 hours? Do you allow for cancellations? Um, and in emergencies, do you do 30-minute appointments? Because that's just how fishermen operate. The idea of having to make a, a counselor appointment you know, months in advance is, is pretty overwhelming in and of itself. So we have a list of counselors that we're able to refer fishermen to, and when funding is available, we'll pay for the first few sessions, um, just again to, to break down that barrier. We're also working with partners now to create some next steps. So here's how you can access health insurance. Here's 
you know, some different programs that you get into so that the idea is that it's sustainable and not, um, you know, just the short term, but how are we supporting fishermen down the road? Now, this point seems really important. The fishing industry is really unpredictable. Between weather, the health of fish stocks, and keeping a boat and crew running, it can be really hard for people in the industry to plan long term. It's great to hear that an organization like Maine Coast Fishermen's Association is able to understand those unique challenges and build a network of mental health providers who can specifically cater to those needs. Absolutely. Another thing that Monique and her team did was try to build knowledge about the challenges of commercial fishing life in those communities of mental health professionals. We are going to be embarking on some uh, training for counselors to just inform them about some of those stressors that exist in the commercial fishing industry. So everything from climate change to new regulations. So when a fisherman starts a counseling appointment, they don't necessarily have to start with here's the state of the commercial fishing industry and why I'm a little bit stressed out. Some of that will be taken care of for them. Of course, fishermen's health goes beyond just stress and anxiety. As we heard in our last episode, injury and stress to fishermen's bodies is an omnipresent challenge and something that Monique's group sees a lot of in their fleet. The injuries and um, complaints, if you will, that I hear from fishermen uh, in regards to you know their physical health on the boat is a lot of sort of repetitive use kind of injuries. So something like a tennis elbow or carpal tunnel, a lot of low back injuries because they're bending over, of course, especially clam harvesters in the intertidal. Those types of injuries all the way to, I mean, even Charlie horses, I know that's not necessarily considered an injury, but a lot of fishermen get them because their calves are very tight or maybe they're a little bit dehydrated or maybe they're not getting a, a lot of potassium. If you've ever been in a meeting with a group of commercial fishermen, it's it's happened to me a few times where all of a sudden one of the guys jumps up and it's, it's simply because he has a, a charley horse and he needs to get up and, and move around. The discussion of low potassium is reminding me, Hannah, of the old fisherman superstition that we've encountered often of not having bananas on board the boat. <laughs> yes. So it reminded me of the same thing. And bananas, of course, have been long considered very bad luck if they're brought on a boat. And honestly, I have known fishermen who were so superstitious about this that they had their own kids aboard for a fishing trip. And the kid happened to have one of those little tropical island Lego sets. And with it came this tiny little Lego banana. And they were so uncomfortable with having even a fake banana on board that they tossed it away before they went out. (laughs) Okay, so I I think we're going to have to talk about nutrition uh, and other ways people can get potassium than bananas in later episodes. Yes, but more seriously to this point, injuries are a really big deal in the fishing industry. Now, fortunately, Monique also has previous experience as a personal trainer, so she has some really great tips for what fishermen can do to prevent injuries. We're all sort of guilty of using our backs when we should be using our legs, but because of the nature of the job for for fishermen, very often they have to use their backs. So it's just a matter of being cognizant of it and really listening to your body when things become painful or hurt in a way that perhaps they haven't in the past. And I know a lot of fishermen like to work through things, but, you know, Going to see a personal trainer or a physical therapist for some of these aches and pains, um, it might take a little bit of time, you know, at the beginning, but it could prevent long-term injury and pains down the road.
And if an injury does happen, then rest really is your best friend. Learning to listen to your body and seeking rest makes sense. Though I imagine that even if fishermen are paying attention to their aches and pains, sometimes the conditions on a fishing boat just don't really allow you to stop working and take a nap. Absolutely. And Monique and the other folks that we've talked to in this and in our last episode, they really do understand that. And because of that reality, it may mean that taking steps to prevent injury and to take time to heal properly if an injury does occur are really the best way forward. One important aspect of that might be getting exercise when fishermen are not at work, which may sound a little counterintuitive since most of their jobs involve extremely demanding physical labor. But in our conversation, Monique explained that there is a difference between the work of fishing and the exercising that's good for your physical health. Physical activity is, you know, what you're doing in your day to day. Um, Like a fisherman, they have a higher amount of physical activity than somebody that's sedentary. If it's repetitive and the movements that you're making every day are the same, yes, you're physically active, but exercise is done with intent as a means to get stronger or, you know, to be able to stretch more, to be able to have a, a stronger cardiovascular capabilities. And so I I think that's a a challenge for for fishermen um, is is the idea of like, Jesus, I got to exercise after a long day of being on the boat. There is value in physical activity with the intent to get stronger, with the intent to be able to, you know, maneuver your body and and do more on on the the fishing vessel. And and that's tough. It's, It's definitely tough. Now, having worked on a few boats myself, I am inclined to agree with Monique here that often the very last thing you want to do after a long day of fishing is go to a gym. But Monique says that getting stronger doesn't have to mean strapping on a weight belt. Rather, there are some simple things that you can incorporate into your pre or post fishing routine. The best kind of exercise is the kind of exercise where you can find enjoyment. I've always told clients in the past, like if you don't like it, it's not, then you're not going to do it. So finding something that you enjoy is incredibly important. And that type of exercise and getting outside can be anything from playing basketball or passing the ball with your kids, playing golf, to taking your dog for a walk. Um, I think walks are so underrated. Um, And the walks can be some of the best things for you because you're moving your joints, you know, you can hold in your stomach to work your abdominals, you can walk fast to work your cardiovascular, you can walk slow to sort of meditate. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a three hour walk, a 20 minute walk after dinner is just as meaningful. Because if you think if you're going for a 20 minute walk three times a week, that's an hour of exercise that you haven't done. Um, And walking is also incredibly good for your joints that kind of thing. And also stretches, Um, you know, fishermen sometimes will get probably, you know, tight hip flexors. And so just thinking about moving your hips in different ways, you know, even walking up and down the street and lifting your legs as high as you get, something like that is a, a good way to just sort of work in some exercise. So between hearing from Eric and Monique, I think we have a few key takeaways. Yes. So my first one comes from Eric. The effort, time, and money invested into making your boat easier to work on for everyone on your crew, not just the biggest, strongest guys, will pay off by getting the best work out of each of those people, making the work safer, and making it, as Eric would say, more fun and joyous for everyone. For me, a big takeaway is that fishermen have unique health needs. Both mental and physical and groups like the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association are uniquely suited to help facilitate access to services that support those needs. 
in thinking about physical health, I think we've heard a repeated refrain of listen to your body. If it hurts, stop and rest. And wherever possible, take time to let your body recover from injury. And finally, the work of fishing is often different than restorative exercise. It's important to do both. And even doing after dinner walks and taking time to stretch before and after hard work can keep your body ship shape for years to come. Thanks for joining us today. In this episode, you'd heard from fisherman Eric Jordan in Sitka, Alaska, and Monique Coombs of the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. Join us again next time for a deep dive into diets, nutrition, and what you should and shouldn't be drinking to stay hydrated. Fishing Forward is a production of the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety and Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. To connect with us, visit us on the Fishing Forward webpage at www.coastalroots.org slash fishingforwardpod. Though we do our best to bring you accurate information and lived experiences in this podcast, please remember that all of the health-related information presented here is the opinion of the interviewees, and it should not be interpreted as licensed medical advice. As always, talk to your physician about your own health needs and circumstances. Fishing Forward is funded by the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety. We also receive support from the Alaska Marine Safety Education Association, Oregon State University, Fishing Partnership Support Services, the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, the National Occupational Research Agenda, Agriculture, Forest, and Fishing Council, and the Local Catch Network. Safe sailing.